It's time now for Super Psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. Good evening and welcome to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years this evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time and that's 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And today is Sunday, July the 9th. 2023, and I'm psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell, and we are back live from hot Austin, Texas, and we hope you're staying cool wherever you are, and we have another great program in store for you this evening. Art Mendoza of Accomplished Entertainment, producer of this program, is here with us to make the show run smoothly as usual. In a little while after the break, we'll be joined once again by keynote speaker, president of Stackpole and Associates, and co-host of the podcast, The Medical Travel Show, Irving Stackpole. And Irving will be here to discuss how long-term care looks for the future and the future of elder care in general. And then later in the program, I'll give some more tips from the field for caregivers who still want to live a passionate life. And after the show, you can hear this evening's program again by going to my website, and the link to the podcast will be posted later tonight or early tomorrow morning, along with any of the website links given by my guests on the program. And you can also hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to Blog Talk Radio, that's B-L-O-G talkradio.com slash your golden years. And you'll also be able to hear it on Apple Podcasts in five minutes after the program. For information from this program, from previous programs going all the way back to about nine and a half years ago, um, and to listen to those programs, just go to my website, drmaricarpel.com, and all of those podcasts are sit on blogtalkradio.com slash your golden years and Apple Podcasts. And for upcoming programs and events, be sure to follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Carpel, your golden years. This evening's program is produced by Accomplice Entertainment and Psyched Up Productions and sponsored by amightygoodtime.com. Wondering what to do after you're 50? How about having a mighty good time? It's free to search, free to post, and much more. Whether it's in person or virtual, anything can be found to fill your day connecting with other people. So be more active and start connecting again. Go to amightygoodtime.com. That's amightygoodtime.com. Okay, we're going to take a brief break, but don't go anywhere. It'll be very brief. And when we come back, we'll be joined by Irving Stackpole to talk about the future of elder care. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Super psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell will be back after words from our sponsors. Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed services or supplies you never received. There are three easy things you can do to prevent fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and look for any suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE. Or call your local Medicare SHIP program at 1-800-252-9240. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com. And we're back. 
If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmarakarpell.com. And now joining us once again, we have keynote speaker and president of Stackpole and Associates, Irving Stackpole. Welcome, Irving. Hello, Dr. Carpell. Thank you, Dr. Carpell. How are you, Mara? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for coming back onto the program. And I hope that wherever you are, you're cooler than where we are here in Texas. <laughs> it's been a very, very frightening thing to see the penetration of the heat, especially in Texas. We have uh, associates and friends there, and it's been uh, truly a challenge. It it really is. It's it's hot. <laughs> so. Um, well, thank you so much for being back on the program. And, um, you know, what I'd like to do for listeners who didn't hear you last time is just to start again, as we did last time, for you to just give a little bit about your background, if that's okay. Absolutely. It's, it's my pleasure. And thank you again for inviting me back. Very, very briefly, uh, my background is in healthcare and aging services. Uh, decades of background, as a matter of fact, and the um, specific areas in which my firm has worked is in research and business development, helping providers reach out to consumers and customers of aging services, so long-term care, skilled care, assisted living, home care, like that. So, I know a bit about those markets, and I know how they work and sometimes how they don't work. I spend a lot of my time trying to goad policymakers and leaders in the field to come up with more effective policies so that, indeed, uh, for more of Americans, their years are indeed golden. Mm-hmm. Mhm. Yeah, you know, the last time you were on, we spoke you you talked a, a bit about some of the obstacles that we face with long-term care and um related to the money and where it goes. Um so now maybe we can talk and you talked a little bit about the history of long-term care. So maybe we could talk a little right. bit about your thoughts about the future. Um, where do you see this all going in the United States? Well, it's a really interesting question, Mara, and I see it going in multiple directions. Um, we have a very imminent shift in the market demand for long-term care services. And by long-term care services, I mean both residential um, type of of products, that is to say, assisted living, independent living, age-qualified housing, and that sort of thing, as well as uh, home and community-based services. So I mean the full spectrum of services that help uh, elderly navigate, manage, and improve the quality of their lives. So uh, we're coming up on a time when demand, which has been shrinking since 2012, we're coming up on a time when demand is going to begin to grow. And it's Mm -hmm. going to grow very dramatically. Um, We are probably five to seven years, which isn't that long, (laughs) away from this age wave, this baby boom that everybody's been talking about for the past 30 years. Um, But the demand for aging services based on that baby boom is really going to surge. Um, So the future is going to be filled with the needs of the aging cohorts, the baby boom cohort, um, and and the needs that they have. Yeah, they've they've, they've nicknamed it the silver, they've nicknamed it the silver tsunami, right? Uh, Yes, there have been a a lot of labels attached to it, the silver tsunami, the age wave. Um, One of the oldest Mm -hmm. and best known is the age wave, which was a book, I think it was published 
in the late 70s or early 80s by Ken Dykwald. Um, and he created, he created quite a bit of foment about the idea of this silver tsunami, the gray wave, the baby boom. And everybody's been waiting. And so there's, because mm-hmm. it, hasn't, it hasn't occurred yet, uh, that anticipation was premature. So people are looking around, looking to the left, looking to the right, saying, you see a baby boom? Did you see an age wave? Um, and it hasn't materialized. But it, it, it's imminent. Um, part of the reason for this is that consumers, the people who want to access, who need or want to access aging services, they tend not to really access them at any significant, in any significant way until they're 85. Mm, and, okay. Yes. So in 2032, the oldest of the baby boomers will begin to turn 85. And from there forward, we're going to see a very dramatic change in demand. And the demand is going to be highly varied. Um, the prior generations were easily placed into um, molds, if you will. They were pigeonholed. So there were institutional settings, there were home care settings, and the previous generation, the the silent generation, these are individuals who were adults during the Korean conflict, um, they were very compliant, very adherent. They, they easily uh, accepted the kinds of regimentation and rules and regulations that baby boomers have been fighting against mm-hmm. during their entire life trajectory. Right. So we're going to see <laughs> quite, a, quite a change. Boomers will not accept the regimentation and the uh, regulation of their aging, aging selves as much as they did their, during their working years, during their teen mm-hmm. years, at any time during their life's trajectory. Well, that seems like a challenge, but also a positive thing. Right. Oh, yes. I think, there's, I think there's going to be lots of positive features to it. Um, the, the baby boom generation has been characterized by the dramatic shifts and redefinitions that the, this generation has produced during every stage in their life cycles. Mm-hmm. So we're going to see, I believe we're going to see a fragmentation, which is a good thing in this regard, a, a lot of different ways to solve the mobility, vision, auditory, and um, uh, cognitive challenges that are looming in volume. So, for example, think of the concept of uh, the Golden Girls, a very popular television program where there was a small group of uh, unrelated individuals. I guess two of them were related, mother and daughter, but otherwise unrelated mm-hmm. Older women living together, helping each other, supporting each other, um, goading each other, uh, and providing uh-huh. general entertainment for those of us who watch. Um, <laughs> I think we're I think we're going to see um, some of the housing infrastructure uh, turned into golden years type residences. Mm-hmm. So one of the one of the one of the research reports that comes out every few years that I track in my line of work is from the joint, the joint um, housing study out of Harvard University. And in their last report talked about, they showed data on the number of individuals in the United States who will be 80 years of age and living alone the rate of increase of that particular category is really mind-boggling. It's going to be in double-digit percentage growth for the next decade. So what that mm-hmm. means is we're going to have an awful lot of people going to redefine home alone. It's now going to be old and home alone. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. These, these individuals, we all know what social isolation did. Say that 10 times real fast. Uh, 
We all know what, mm-hmm. te- what social isolation did during the pandemic. So, so social isolation mm-hmm. is the new smoking. It's every bit as dangerous for the health and well-being of, uh, of a senior, of, a, of an elder person. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we're going to find people who are living alone at home, and there will be ways, I predict, for them to network their way into cohabitation arrangements with unrelated individuals in what's becoming a very large inventory of single-occupied households. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I've actually heard people talking about, you know, hey, when I get, when I'm in like 20 years, um, let's all get a house together and we can share a caregiver. And that sounds like a really well, good yes. plan. <laughs> yes, and you can share a caregiver. You could share a care robot, mm. which is another thing that's <laughs> absolutely emerging. You can share care supplies. You mm-hmm. could share care equipment. You could help each other clean it. You could help with the groceries, the general uh, management of the household, etc. There are some barriers to accomplishing that, but I have every confidence that the leading edge boomers will figure that out for the rest of us. Mhm. Yeah, that sounds like a good. That sounds like a very optimistic view. I hope that. I hope that that's true. Um, but what about in the nearer future? Um, with you know, you mentioned that there was um, a decrease of older adults, and now there'll be a sudden surge, and a lot of the nursing homes have started closing, and yes. it seems like just in like not that not that long from now, they're going to need more capacity. So what's going to happen? And also with um, the staffing issues and the decreased the the crisis that we've had in staffing. I mean, how is that all going to resolve? They really, they really, it really is. I've I've labeled this a fatal contraction uh, mm-hmm. because it's both a contraction of the supply of these high end, these high acuity residential units called skilled nursing facilities, nursing homes. There's been a contraction in the number of nursing homes. 160 have closed this year alone um, across, across the country, and more have closed wings, uh, aren't, aren't operating anywhere near at full capacity. So this is a real problem. Uh, it's a problem for families, it's a problem for communities, and it's a problem for the sick individuals, uh, somebody with Alzheimer's or neurodegenerative disorders who can't find uh, in their communities at a convenient, at a convenient drive time for their, their friends and relatives, can't find a place uh, to take up uh, residency. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it is, a re- it is a real problem, and... It's an immediate problem, and my effort has been to attract attention within the industry and within the policy circles to this challenge so that we can begin to have a conversation about how we, as as a country, plan to address both the increases and the decreases in demand for these services, because nobody's ever done this before. And historically, well, I don't want to get into the history because we covered that the last time, but Mm -hmm. there needs to be better policy um, discussions, more open policy discussions about how how best to address these needs. Right now, the system is broken uh, Mm -hmm. and um, it's, it's a challenge for most people to find a suitable uh, nursing home placement in their marketplace area. And in rural areas like um, Maine, Iowa, 
uh, Oregon. Nursing homes are closing at a stunning rate, um, and, and in part because of the staffing wow. issue that you mentioned. Um, the staffing and the access to the residential care go hand in glove. Um, a quieter issue is home care. Uh, home care agencies, many home care agencies, are unable uh, to staff requests that they get because there aren't enough staff. So the staffing issue is the flip side of the demographic issue that's creating the decline in demand, that has created the decline in demand, and will create the increase in demand as well as economic issues. So the staffing for home care agencies and nursing homes uh, is principal, and to some degree for assisted living, is principally women, principally women of color, and many of them are immigrants. And mm-hmm. many, of, many of those people who historically have worked as home health aides or home health care staff or nursing staff, CNAs, uh, assistants in nursing homes, many of those folks uh, are now working at less challenging, better paying jobs at a Walgreens or an Amazon uh, center or mm. other types of um, other types of service-based jobs. And the nursing centers and the home health agencies are constrained by government payment and so can't compete with the wages that a Walmart or an Amazon uh, can offer. So there's not only been a reduction in the United States in the workforce participation rate, which is sort of the other side of unemployment. So you've got unemployment, but that's a crude measure. The better measure is workforce participation rate from our perspective. Not only is that low, and it has been trending down slightly in in many ways, but those individuals that are in the workforce um, don't have to deal with the kinds of situations that occur in a nursing home. They can work in an Amazon center or in a in a Walgreens and go home at four o'clock. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's been a particular challenge in the long-term care sector. So you mentioned that that relies a lot on the government reimbursement, and I've heard that there's a push to try to get Medicare, Medicaid to have a higher reimbursement rate so that the staff can be paid more. Is that something that you see as likely or, or no? Yes, it is, it is happening that there are calls for a living wage for um, healthcare workers, for frontline long-term care health workers. And that's desperately needed. Uh, mm-hmm. the, overall, the overall percentage of the population that lives um, at or below the federal poverty level is a little over 9%. And the percentage of the uh, certified nursing assistants in nursing homes who working full-time who are living at or below the federal poverty level is twice that. Wow. That's incredible. So what we're saying, well, it's, it's been the case historically that there seemed to be an unending supply of this workforce so that individuals would come in, work for 9, 12, 18 months, cycle out, and all the the home care agency or the nursing home operator had to do was put some ads or ask some of their longer-term staff for some referrals, and that positions would get filled. So it's been mm-hmm. tolerated and accepted because, frankly, it worked. 
but it's certainly not working anymore. The mm-hmm. danger associated with the job during the pandemic was certainly one of the reasons why the sector lost, uh, by some people's count, 225,000, and by other people's counts, over 320,000 frontline care workers. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's a Mm -hmm. big number. It is. But I remember before the the pandemic, they were struggling with staffing. So now it's just so much worse. Yes. This is really a contraction in the available workforce supply. I think that before the pandemic, uh, there were certain areas and certain types of jobs that were difficult to fill. But frankly, I believe that the uh, sector representatives, the organizations that represent the providers in the sector, used the short staffing issue as a political cudgel in order to try to secure better funding for their operations. And sometimes it was true, and sometimes it was less so. But now Mm -hmm. the data is just compelling and clear. Mm -hmm. So do you think that there's a chance that Medicaid will increase their reimbursement so that they can hire more people? Well, I'm going to disconnect those two things that you just said. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Medicaid... Medicaid, in different states, there is a well-intentioned movement toward increasing rates paid to long-term care providers. And in some states, there are initiatives to direct that a certain percentage of that state-based payment go directly to direct care workforce, which is not a novel, but a newly applied standard, and that's occurring in several states. So, yes, there is increased pay looming for, or it's been initiated or it will soon occur states. The problem is that it isn't just the pay. In these long-term care service networks, It isn't just the pay that attracts or repels workforce. One of the fundamental problems we have in the United States right now is that we have record low unemployment, Mm -hmm. which which means that a significant portion of the people who are willing to work are working, and they are, they, those 225 320,000 individuals who left long-term care um, during the 30 months of the pandemic, they didn't leave the workforce. They took other jobs. Right. Now, maybe some of them left the workforce and are waiting on the sidelines, but the vast majority of them, probably 75 to 85% of them, took other jobs. So now what has to happen is, that the benefits, the working conditions, the pay, all of that has to now, in, in long-term care, has to stack up against this other alternative that they found in order to attract them back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what do you so see as a solution? Supply. Is there a solution? Well, I think there needs <laughs> Now, th- I think there needs to be several policy solutions. So if there are any long-term care policy people out there, I, I, I hope your ears perked up. There are several policy solutions can and could be implemented, but it's a little like climate change. They, these are solutions that require a long-term planning horizon and a very willing and creative cooperation between and among the providers, the state agencies that manage these systems, and, and frankly, the public. 
So the first, mm-hmm. the first one and the most obvious one is that here in the United States, we used to have a visa program called the H-1A visa program, which was for foreign nurses. Now, at the peak of those programs, uh, those pro- they were very successful, and they brought in tens of thousands of nurses into the United States. And the famous model, of course, is the Philippine, Filipino nurse. Uh, mm-hmm. They were, they were, uh, the providers liked them because they were well trained. They spoke English, and the Filipino culture is a high has a high care quotient, so very empathetic, well trained, and English speaking nurses. Mm-hmm. That program that program was ended, and as a result of lobbying, fundamentally by the associations and organizations that represent the nursing industry. So that program ended. I believe that program should be brought back and it should, and I'm not the only one advocating for this, and it should be expanded to include other caregiving categories other Mm -hmm. than just nurses. So I believe that that would be in the intermediate term a very it's a well-worn path policy-wise, um, so it shouldn't come as a big surprise. It's, it's an imminently implementable and doable solution that would have uh, impact very quickly. So probably mm-hmm. it could be implemented and, and put in place because of the path that's been done before, and it would have impact within a year, two years at the most. So that would be one thing. Um, I should stop there and see if you have any questions about that. Yeah, no, that sounds, you know, that that sounds like a great plan because, honestly, um, you know, the caregivers who come from other countries, I have noticed that most of them have come from cultures where caring for elders is really revered. It's a really important it's seen as an important job. And so they're very compassionate and empathic and it would give them a way to come to the United States, which many people want to do. Yes. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. I I believe all of those things are really correct at a a deep level. Another, another thing, another undertaking that can and should be done is there are a host of technical training programs, community colleges, uh, even nursing school, uh, hospital schools. There are a host of technical training programs that are, that exist now that are uh, fully accredited, licensed, or approved within their state, within their profession but are operating at lower than capacity. In other words, they have the seats, they have the chairs approved, but there's no butts in the chairs. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is that the caring professions are not seen as professions. They are not esteemed in our culture. And one of the things, one of the initiatives that I believe would make a huge difference would be to get the mayors, get the governors, get the city councilors, get the town managers, get them to promote these programs and to show up at the benchmark events, to show up at the graduations, to show up at the, 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 uh, the credentialing award ceremonies to uh, show up when the newly minted uh, medical assistant shows up uh, for her first day at the home health agency, have her picture taken with the home health aide and make sure that it makes it onto the front page of the newspaper. Mm-hmm. This is so culturally powerful maybe even do a little TikTok video that would then go uh, viral with the 
the mayor of uh, South Detroit and the newly minted uh, CNA at the nursing home uh, just shaking hands or doing a little dance or something like that Mm -hmm. to show Mm -hmm. all of the individuals in that cohort that this is an esteemed activity. Mm -hmm. Because right now it isn't. I believe that that would go a long way to filling the available seats as they are and to bringing people into the, the, career, the careers, uh, if I dare call it a profession, to bring people uh-huh. into the profession of frontline uh, caring. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it really is so important. And um, it's never really been given uh, um, any sort of, uh, you know, esteem in this country. So that's right. That's. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are the so people are that just, are doing the the hardest work, taking care of our elders. Yes, these are these are mm-hmm. the individuals who listen when the patient or the individual in his home tells the same story for the fifth time. These Mm -hmm. are the people who listen. These are the people who make sure that the individual um, has is toileted correctly. This is the individual who makes, who watches for changes and reports them so that the nurse or the doctor or the um, physician's assistant, the APRN, they can observe the the individual and make appropriate mm-hmm. changes to his or her care plan. These are critical and we don't have enough of them for a bunch of different reasons. And we, they're transparent. We don't see them. And that's, that's mm-hmm. wrong. That's, that's mm-hmm. a self-inflicted wound. You know, we, we're stepping on the rake every day here. Yep. Yep. Um, so, so Irving, these are all really, this is really, really interesting discussion. And, um, I feel more optimistic because there, you actually have ideas for a plan and I hope some of them, I hope some of these plans get enacted. Um, and I would love to have you back on the program. As do I. Yeah, I'm I'm sure you do. And I would love to have you back on the program in the future to talk about your um, podcast, your medical travel show as well. Well, the, the medical travel uh, market, the health tourism and medical travel markets are really a very different kind of um, uh, dynamic. Uh, what What it seems to me that when we talk about golden years, um, those it, the label alone, the title alone suggests that your audience is keen to hear and keen to learn about issues related to aging and aging services. Um, mm-hmm. And while I'm, cert- I'm not a gerontologist, I don't know about, I don't know a lot about aging, but I do know about the services that are provided, how they're provided, how they're paid for, and where and that type of thing. And I'm, I'm delighted to uh, talk about them. Perhaps I become too enthused sometimes. But I am, I am, as you said early in the, in the, uh, in the program, I am passionate about these things. Well, listen, I think it's wonderful that you're passionate because, um, you know, I've been working in, in the industry of work, of, of helping elder elderly people and aging people for 30 something years and for many of those years if I talked about my job people's eyes would glaze over so um they they couldn't understand how I would pick this population to work with so it's 
really wonderful to find people who are as passionate as I am about it because I I really love working with older adults and we're all going to be there <laughs> if we're lucky. Yes, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I I too have developed an abiding affection and it's interesting that you describe a cultural experience, people uh, finding your vocation, finding your passion, a curiosity or mm-hmm. even somewhat less attractive. Uh, back in mm-hmm. the early 90s, uh, my company did a market research project for uh, a major state-based medical society where we surveyed 6,000 doctors And what we found was about long-term care. And what we found was that not only did doctors overall look down on those doctors that took care of the elderly, those doctors who had selectively chosen geriatrics as their discipline, not only did other doctors look down on them, but the doctors who were practicing geriatricians felt as though they were less than mm-hmm. other doctors. Mm-hmm. So this is a cultural metaphor, a deep vein of negativity about aging, which is quite unique to the United States and the UK. It mm-hmm. doesn't exist in other OECD countries. It just doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know I, I know we could keep talking about this. I know we have to we have to go, but I would like to have you back on and we can talk more about it and we can talk about your travel show and and maybe find some ways to improve the view of working with older people. We could we could to. change the world. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> All right. But before we go, um, if listeners are interested in finding out more about you, what's the best way that they can do that? Easy peasy. Um, my website is Stackpole Associates, all one word plural spelled out dot com. Uh, and all if right. people want to reach me reach reach me directly I can be reached at iStackpole at stackpoleassociates.com. Okay, great. So I'll be posting that on my website post about this program. Um, and and let's be in touch. Let's have you back at maybe at the end of the summer or in the fall, and we can try to save the world. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Look forward to it. All right. Well, you have a very good night and stay cool. And thank you again for being back on the program. It's been my pleasure, doctor. Thank you. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye now. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. And we're back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And I just want to, we're going to end the show a little bit early, I think, but I just want to, um, I promised to talk a little bit about some tips from the field in, as a caregiver and um, keeping your passion while you're doing it. So as if you've been listening to the show, um, for those of you who haven't, I have started a, um, a family council, a Zoom family council for my mom's nursing home. She's in another state, 
And I really wanted to join a family council because when I worked in nursing homes, I saw the good that they did. Um, and as a grassroots advocacy group for the residents of the nursing home, not just the family members who lived there, but the other residents as well, and as, and, and as a support for family members. And there wasn't a uh, family council at my mom at the nursing home where my mom now resides so I started one and it is in most states that's not all states um, while the facility does not have to help you create a family council they by law have to provide once you start a family council they have to provide you either a place to hold your meetings in person or um, an online platform, which I don't really need. I'm using my own Zoom platform. Um, but they also um, send emails out to all the families to invite them. And because obviously I don't have access to the email addresses of all the family members. So it is grown with each meeting. We had three meetings so far, and the third meeting we had 18 people show up, and there were several others who said they would be coming to the next meeting. So it's really, that's, that's actually a pretty good number. And we've already, um, we've already had some successes. We had, we brought to the attention um, to the administration that there was an area of the patio that was not accessible to people in wheelchairs, and they're fixing it. Um, we have talked about, we've let them know that our family members would like to have more shade to sit under on hot days, especially now, you know, the summers are getting hotter. Um, the sun is really strong. People, elderly people who are on medications and um, who get dehydrated easily shouldn't be sitting in the sun for long periods of time, but they really enjoy meeting outside in the nicer weather. So it would be great for them to have more shade. So they, the administration, has, they are open to suggestions. They've come up with a few suggestions themselves. They've put in um, tables with umbrellas. And we, we um, have as one of our um, members a state legislator, a state legislator whose family member lives in the building. And so she came to one of our meetings and she informed us about some of the laws, one of which is that a family member can call a care plan meeting with the whole care team for the resident that is their family member anytime they want to. They don't have to wait for the quarterly meeting. Um, you know, every nursing home is required to have a quarterly meeting with the family member involved and the whole team, but the family member can call a care plan meeting sooner than the next quarterly meeting if there are issues to discuss. Family member can also request minutes within a timely manner from the care plan meeting. So those are really important issues that we didn't know about. Um, I recently had an issue with my mom and her therapy where the therapist for some unknown reason decided to change the order so that that would um, take away some of my mother's mobility that she wanted to move her to a, a transfer device that um, that did not allow my mom to participate in pulling herself up and keeping her strength in that way. Um, because I installed a camera in my mother's room uh, about a month and a half ago, two months ago, I was able to see how my mother had been transferring and that there haven't been any problems as the therapist, the physical therapist had described. Um, and the lesson, the lesson I learned from this whole thing was that I got myself too upset, too wound up about it. But the positive side of it is that I found my allies who have some power in decision-making 
Um, and so that is a really important tip. Find your allies. And I showed them clips of the the video that the camera had had uh, caught showing my mother using this transfer device, the one that she wanted to continue to use without any problem. And they agreed and they switched the order back. Um, the original therapist said she was not interested in looking at video. So one of the things that you need to know, and I've spoken about this to the state ombudsman, um, she informed me that the camera is your friend. And the camera in some states is admissible evidence to the state. So if there's any sort of abuse, then you can show the video and the state sees it as admissible evidence. And that is true in the state where my mom resides. So the staff were, were very uh, um, interested in seeing the video, even though that therapist was not. So one of the things that I've learned as well, I've gone to national um, caregiver group, um, um, is that, or family council group, I should say, the cameras are not legal in every state. Not every state will um, requires that the nursing home allow a camera, even if it's legal, not every state requires that the nursing home allow a camera. The nursing home can prohibit it. But in some states, and more recently more states, um, cameras are not only legal, but the nursing home has to allow it if the family member and the resident agree to it. So find out if you have a family member who lives in a nursing facility, find out if it's legal in your state and what the laws are. Um, where my mom lives, it's just required to have a sign outside her door that there is a camera. Um, we were afraid that this would keep caregivers out of the room, that they wouldn't want to come in, they wouldn't want to be on camera, but what we found out is that most caregivers don't care if they're doing their job, then there's nothing for them to hide. So they don't really care if there's a camera, and that's great. So, you know, there's a lot more to this, and I will continue in the next um, show, but I want to just briefly talk about keeping your passion because it can really wear you out when you have a family member who is living in a long-term care facility and you're involved in their care, which you really need to be involved in their care. They really need to be an advocate for your family member because those without a family advocate tend to um, flip through the cracks and there are things that are not noticed, um, things that, you know, with my mom, she would have been just switched to a different um, transfer device. She would have lost more functioning and nobody would have thought anything of it. So it's really important to be an advocate, but it's also really important to take care of yourself. So as I said, one of the lessons was to try to keep myself calm, which it's sometimes hard to do, but it's really important because there were people who did step up and they were people who really are compassionate and caring, who work in the facility. And they helped, they helped my mom. So just look for your allies and, and, don't, and really work on trying not to get yourself wound up. And you need to also take break things that you enjoy doing in life and things that you find relaxing. I have decided, uh, once again, I have re-declared um, that I am going to meditate every day. Um, meditation is a really powerful way of, of decompressing, calming yourself down, and also having the clarity of thought to be able to problem solve without jumping to conclusions and getting upset. And it's also helpful to talk to people who will listen, who really care. Find a friend who can really, um, who you can really talk to about what's going on and, and how you feel. And again, a family council is a really good place 
to um, find other voices, to find that you're not alone, that there are other people who are going through the same thing, and to feel more powerful, that you're that what your voice is powerful combined with other people. So if you don't have a family council in the facility where your loved one lives, um, I have spoken before about starting a family council and how to do it, and I am going and I did write a blog about it as well. So take a look at my website, and I will write another blog going into more detail about. Um, the the exact way that I started a family council. So that's on my agenda to write that. And your um, state ombudsman program can also help you with that. They will help you start a family council. They'll tell you what you need to do. All right. So on that note, we're going to end here. And I want to let you know what's coming up. Um, next Sunday, we'll be playing one of our latest favorite shows as an encore, and then we'll be back live on July 23rd for another great program, and we'll be joined from Florida by the vegan chef and author of a new vegan cookbook called Oh So Yum, inspiring others to explore the many flavors of plant-based nutrition with everyday favorites and weekend fun foods. Lori Gibson, and Lori will be talking about eating a plant-based diet for nutrition and for enjoyment, and she'll give us some cooking tips. Also, producer of this program, Art Mendoza, will be on this side of the mic to talk about his whirlwind trip all around the Bay of Bandadas, Mexico. That's where the twins, Ruben and Minerva, often join us to talk about traveling in Mexico. So Art will be telling us about his experience. And I'll continue with some more tips from the field for caregivers who want to live a passionate life. And if you want to hear tonight's program again and read the information, get the links from this show, go to my website, drmaracarpel.com. And you can also hear this evening's program in as soon as five minutes from now by going directly to Blog Talk Radio. That's B-L-O-G talkradio.com slash your golden years. And you can also listen in five minutes on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Carpel, your golden years for upcoming events. This show was produced by Accomplice Entertainment and Psyched Up Productions and sponsored by AMightyGoodTime.com. And thank you to my guest, Irving Stackpole. Thank you to Art. Thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night, an inspiring week, couple of weeks. And remember, youth has no age. Good night, everyone. Stay safe. The frigate flying so high now Shows a man where to fish Watch me send it He lies in his hammock Teaches stories how to live And he knows how to live the thunder high in that mountain watch the clouds rolling in senorita they dance on that shoreline making plans for that kiss and they know how to kiss they say that we're one hour behind but the senor Read us to keep us in time That poppy CT just blows through my mind It takes me back to my place Punta Mita time any guidance offered by Dr. Carpell is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpell 
Her sponsors, nor this station, assumes responsibility for the misuse of any information on this program. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.